following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. This is the fourth lecture in our course on the study of dreams. We spoke previously about what dreams are and the fact that humanity, psychologically speaking, is asleep. We are dreaming all the time. Not only when we physically go to bed, but even in our supposedly waking life. We also explain that there are different types of beings who exist within a spectrum of consciousness from more elevated, enlightened, spiritual, divine states like compassion, altruism, love, and then states of selfishness unconsciousness, barbarity, perversity. We fall along this spectrum of being. And part of this course is to examine where we fit within the possibilities of consciousness, where we are, psychologically speaking. But part of what we're going to talk about today as well is the fact that dreams themselves are multidimensional. Our consciousness is multidimensional, existing within different planes of experience. And that there are not only states of being, but also places that we gravitate to based on the quality of our mind. Whether again, it is pure, divine, or negative. Our reality has many dimensions, not only just physical. We're gonna talk about that different levels of being specifically the different types of dimensions that exist 
but also where we fit within the whole scheme. Importantly, too, we examine our psychological relationship with where we dream, where we go. People have called this astral projection. Traveling within the fifth dimension, the dream state. There are places that we can go to that depend upon the quality of our being, our psychological states. In this discussion, we'll look at the tree of life. It is a map of consciousness. It is a diagram symbolized in the Bible about the multiplicity of potential, of divine expression, of who we are, but also the different places we subsist. And lastly, we'll explore the fact that every universe has a purpose. The universe comes to be because of a very specific plan. And it is the study of the science of dreams in which we seek to know that truth and to perfect it within ourselves. So the question becomes, where do we dream? The easy answer is in bed. But the truth cannot be far from that banal statement. People attribute dreams to the brain, that our physical brain originates the experiences we perceive when our physical senses shut down. But the truth cannot be more radical and distinct. We dream within the fifth dimension what is known as the astral plane. It is a plane of materiality, of energy, of perception. And the truth is that we all know this from experience. When you have a dream in which you are being chased or you are chasing someone or you're drinking a cup of coffee, a dream in which you are vividly interacting with your surroundings, with a type of matter and energy that is real. It is present. This demonstrates to us the fact that our dreams take place somewhere very specific. We may wake up and think that such a dream was false. It was an illusion. And yet, why is it that in the moment we were so convinced of its reality? We didn't suspect that we were asleep, that we were unaware. The point of all this is to become conscious of this place, to no longer enter dreams without awareness, without knowing where we are at, or where we are dreaming, or who we are. Because oftentimes in a dream, we don't even know who we are. We have no identity driven by instinct, by fear, by desire. And so the question becomes, 
How conscious are we of our dreams, of where we are at even physically? Because this type of awakening within the dream state occurs physically, training the consciousness, as we stated in the previous three lectures, in order to be present, to be alert of our surroundings especially. We often go through life without any awareness of where we are at or what we are doing. We've given many examples of this. And so it is incumbent upon us to train the consciousness to exercise our perception so that this state of slumber ceases. And when that dream ends, we in reality see what is there, the astral plane or the mental plane, the fifth dimension, whatever name we want to give to that heaven or state, we see what is there and therefore it no longer is ambiguous or unclear. So a lot of people, they don't perceive dreams at all. Eight hours pass and then nothing. Oftentimes people may have dreams, but then because of the degeneration of the brain, those memories don't transfer clearly. It's one thing to perceive something within that dimension, but to recollect the memory and to transmit it into our body and when we come back is another thing. We have different practices that we fulfill so that we can strengthen the brain in order to become a useful vehicle of internal investigation. By working on our mind, our consciousness, by training it, by learning to see its faults and learning to perfect it, we discover more and more that we are multidimensional. There are many facets and aspects of our consciousness. If you don't believe me, we can examine a particular example. Many people had the experience of walking down the street and sensing somebody looking at us. We turn and look, we see a person, perhaps a family member, a friend, or a stranger. Those aren't physical senses, those are psychological ones, which in most people is atrophied. Some people have called it telepathy, clairvoyance. Sensing other people's thoughts. That's a clear example of how mind is a type of matter and energy. It travels. Thoughts travel through space like a beacon, like a radio. And our psychology is like an antenna which receives those impressions. We all might have the example too, we're thinking of a friend, a loved one, a family member. And when we pick up the phone to call them, they're dialing us already. Because thought travels, mind travels. Our consciousness occupies not only physical space, but a type of matter and energy that is beyond physicality beyond the limits of our physical five senses. We find that beautifully represented 
by the tree of life. This is an image very well known within Jewish mysticism, the Kabbalah. The word Kabbalah in Hebrew comes from Kabel, which means to receive. Some scholars like Gershom Sholem have emphasized that Kabbalah means tradition, like it's knowledge passed from one rabbi to a disciple and onward. But the truth is that, mystically speaking, this knowledge that we're talking about is from experience. It's what we experience with our consciousness. Directly when the physical body rests and we as a soul go out. When we awaken within the dream state, we can personally converse with the great masters of the White Lodge. Those beings like Jesus, Buddha, Moses, Krishna, prophets, who have perfected themselves. In those dimensions mapped out by these ten spheres, we experience reality, the different levels of nature. These are places within the cosmos, but more importantly, they are states of being because we resonate and travel to the places by which we are affected. So this consciousness travels when the physical body sleeps. We travel within the dream state, the astral plane, which is known as Hod in Hebrew. This Hebrew term means splendor. It is the bliss and splendor of the soul that is outside of the physical body, that feels the joy of eternity, liberated from material laws, limitations like gravity, and the flesh. In that dimension, one can levitate, one can fly, pass through walls, one is ductile. Matter and that level of dimensionality is plastic, elastic. You can think of a place, imagine it, and you appear there because there is no limitation of time or place. The astral plane is a world of eternity, the eternal now, in which we experience the full bliss of our soul, recognizing that we are an immortal being and that we are not destined for the grave. It is a place in nature, but more importantly, if we wish to explore it competently, we need to develop our consciousness. We need to awaken it. In order to do that, it's important to understand where we are. Where are we dreaming here and now? What is our level of being? What is our current level of perception? Do we see everything there is to see? For materialists, the physical senses are all there is. And yet mathematics and quantum physics has demonstrated the existence of multiple dimensions. We can perform an analysis on other types of beings within our physical world that demonstrate for us how we don't see everything 
and that there is a potential to know more. We can even look at the first three dimensions and the types of beings that populate them. We have the first dimension, which is simply a point that moves through space. When a point moves through space, it becomes a line. Beings who are one-dimensional are like the snail. They only experience sensations. They live a very linear life. Simple. They only perceive at that level. And yet, we know as humanoids, as people, that there is more. Because we see it. We know it. We experience it. There are likewise two-dimensional beings, like the cat and the dog, like a horse. And the second dimension, the line moves through space and becomes a plane. With this type of experience, one sees representations along with sensations, images, moving things. So when a cat sees you pulling out a treat, they see the representation and they anticipate the reward. They see the image and they react to the sensations of what they are eating. But this is two-dimensional. is the most complex type of being that exists, as we know. And then we have three-dimensional beings, which is us. When a plane moves through space, it becomes a solid. Length, width, height. As individuals, we experience sensations, representations, and more importantly, reasoning. We can conceive. We have concepts. We can articulate ideas. This is what distinguishes us from the animal kingdom. But unfortunately, we do carry many tendencies from the animal kingdom, psychologically speaking, like anger, pride, resentment, lust, fear. And so anyone who approaches this type of studies has a yearning to know more, to become something more than what is limited to us at our current level. Beyond us, there are beings who have a type of perception that is quite elevated, quite miraculous. Such beings can see the fourth dimension. When a solid moves through space, becomes a hypersolid. Beings at this level who see the fourth dimension perceive sensations, representations, cognizance, and the spatiality of all things, the aura of beings. Notice the difference between a three-dimensional being and a fourth-dimensional being. With three dimensions, we reason, we analyze, we deliberate. But the intellect is not everything. There's a type of perception and understanding, a cognizant wisdom that is beyond mind, doesn't need to think. It merely apprehends the nature of any phenomenon and it knows. This image here of the aura of an inanimate object is from the Kirlian camera. It's a Russian photographical device that captures the fourth dimensional aspect of any physical thing. 
So even with plants, stones, animals, people, you see light. Because that is the energy or the vital depth of any physical thing. This vital depth gives us life. The more vitality we have, we sense it when we get up in the morning after resting. Or it's depletion through the activities of the day. But really beyond us are beings that see even far beyond the fourth dimension. And because they are conscious, they don't dream. They don't sleep as we do, psychologically. We have here Jacob's Ladder. Illustrated by William Blake, who was a great master of dream yoga. He depicted a staircase leading to heaven, divine states, more profound and elevated realizations that these beings manifest because of their psychological caliber, their internal work. This ladder is the tree of life, the ladder of being with many rungs from the physical body, which is Malkut, in Hebrew meaning kingdom, up towards more rarefied states of perception until reaching the heights. Below you have states of density, materiality, coarseness, organisms and life matter at this physical plane. But above that, we have even more rarefied states and forms of matter and perception. Some people think of these higher worlds as something ephemeral, vague, like they lack a type of stability or concreteness. The truth is that they are material, but not in accordance with the laws that govern our physical world. We find that evident in the vital body, the vital world. Yesod in Hebrew means the foundation. The foundation of spiritual life is by working with energy to awaken consciousness, conserving it, employing it for a spiritual purpose. There are many beings who populate the world of Yesod, the vital, etheric, spiritual realm. And there are many beings who populate even above that Hod, in Hebrew meaning splendor, the astral plane. Likewise, Netzach, victory in Hebrew, referring to the mind, the mental world. And up and onward. The higher you go, the more selfless your state. No egotism, no hatred, no pride. That gets stripped away in the same way that when you physically go to sleep, it's like you lose your identity. But unfortunately for us, that process is mechanical. We don't enter it with willingness. The type of selflessness I'm referring to has to do with our level of consciousness in its total sense. So these are the dimensions that we seek to explore. But for that, we have to work on ourselves, understand our own conditions, pride, anger, vanity, laziness, lust, defects, because these trap 
the consciousness that knows how to astral project, to investigate these higher worlds with great skill, with efficiency, with knowledge. But the important thing is that when we talk about multiple dimensions, we're not talking about merely something that's outside. And that's a grave misconception that people have when they explore what it means to dream or where are we dreaming? Where are we psychologically? The truth is that this tree of life, while it represents external nature, more importantly represents internal nature. You access the astral dimension every night you go to sleep. But we're just not aware of it. We do it mechanically, like a robot. This dimension is inside. It's not external. You access it when you go within yourself, within meditation. When you put the mind aside. When you abandon thought. And learn to direct with your liberated cognizance, alert, luminous, clear, that we can access these realms with intentionality, with purpose. But again, this dimension is not something foreign to us. We access it every night, which is why Samal and Vior, the founder of the modern Gnostic tradition, wrote in Igneous Rose. Most students are already so separated from nature that when they talk about astral experiences, they fall into the horrible aberration of wanting to establish an abyss between astral experiences and their dreams. These students despise their dream experiences without realizing that their dreams are indeed the very astral experiences that they are looking for. Let's talk about the actual dimensions themselves. We have the physical world at the very center between nine spheres above and nine spheres below. In Hebrew, we call these spheres sephiroth. It means emanations or jewels. Above the physical world, in terms of psychological density, we have more rarefied and elevated spiritual states, nine heavens. These are not heavens in the vertical sense of our terrestrial space. These are psychological ways of being. They are elevated or vertical in the sense that they are superior. They are less materialistic, more energetic, more spiritual. Below this physical world, we have nine inverted spheres, which all religions have called hell. The hell realms. Inferno. It means inferior. These are states of consciousness that are driven by hatred. By extortion. By rage. These are not only our own psychology, but... There is a place within nature, within the inverted dimensions, beneath this physical world, within a subtle astral state that we find inferior ways of being. In Sanskrit, it is a vichy, 
In Hebrew, it is klipot, the world of shells. If you physically go into the earth, you will not find the nine inverted dimensions. It's because it's internal. We access this realm when we have nightmares. We are interacting literally with matter and energy within an inferior state, driven by pain. The thing to remember is that this infernal world is not some place of eternal damnation. It's a purifying ground. Whatever psychologically one does not eliminate is done by nature, progressively, through different states, more mechanical, entering through what we call devolution into inferior qualities of mind. But fortunately, there is a path that is beyond that, that is above, that is superior. Above this third dimension, this physical world, we have the vital world known as time, the vital plane. We also have above that, the fifth dimension, eternity. Yasad is here above Malkut, the physical world, and Hod and Netzach constitute the world of the heart and the world of the mind. These are our paradise in the superior sense. They are elevated and pure. What most people commonly call astral experiences are really not above in the tree of life. They tend to be down here, primarily because our consciousness is saturated with a lot of problems, if we're honest. A lot of defects, errors, vices, egotism. Where we dream depends on our quality of being. Where we go in nature, when we physically sleep, depends upon our mind. Are we selfless? Are we kind even to enemies? Are we patient to those who may criticize our self-esteem? Do we serve others without expecting a reward? Especially when it is a betrayal. Is our mind pure? We have to reflect on this. If what we want to know is these higher dimensions, what people call heaven, because we can't go to heaven if we carry baggage that weighs us down. Because emotions like hatred and pride, violence, these weigh us down. Because these levels of nature are more dense. And if we're heavy, Psychologically speaking, that's where we go to dream. That's where we're at. It's a very disconcerting realization to make, to have a conscious experience of you being in the hell realms. It is very unpleasant, but it is more unpleasant to ignore the problem. Beyond the superior astral world or the superior mental world, which is a place where angels dwell, Buddhas, gods, divine beings, prophets. We have the electronic world, the sixth dimension, nirvana. This is a state of being where no desire, 
No imperfection can go. No defect. No vice. The consciousness divested of any type of impurity, escaping the bottle like the genie from Aladdin's lamp through meditation, experiences its own reality, which is this dimension. The world of causes. In the physical world, we have our body. In the world of Yasad, we have vital energy. In the molecular world, the world of Hod, we experience emotional sentiment, the heart. It is an emotional dimension operated by feeling. And likewise, the mental world, we can enter the world of willpower. It's more subtle. Beyond our emotions and thoughts is the desire, or better said, the will to be, to do. All of us who are attending this lecture have a type of will to be here. It's a subtle thing that drives our actions that for most of us is not very conscious. Thought and feeling is much more accessible for us. When we have a negative emotion or a negative thought, we can point it out to ourselves. But willpower, the will to do, even better said, the will of divinity is much more rare, subtle, and very difficult to put our finger on. This often comes in the form of a longing or inquietude in the heart to want to explore, to examine what spirituality is, what religion is. Above this electronic world, we have spheres that relate to the spirit, the seventh dimension. We call this the world of the quanta, of light. These spheres, especially the top, have been given different names in different traditions. Above, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in Christianity. In Buddhism, we have Dharmakaya, Sambhogakaya, Nirmanakaya. Or in Egypt, Osiris, Oros, Isis. In the Nordic mythology, we have Wotan, Baldur, Thor. So while this is an image that is often associated with Judaism, we find that regardless of the language or the culture, this teaching is present. Different cultures give different names to this phenomena, this reality. A simple way to examine what the zero dimension is like, is like light. With this top sphere, which in Hebrew is known as Keter, the crown of the divine being, our inner glory, we find is like the spaciousness and emptiness of light. With the top sphere, chokmah, wisdom of the divine, is like the radiance and brilliance of light. And then third, binah, the intelligence of divinity, in Hebrew, is how that light acts. Light is conscious. The same principle applies to our own inner divinity who is within us, which manifests and unfolds in different layers and strata 
in the same way that life comes to be in different levels of nature. So the physical world is the cellular world. It's what we are all familiar with. But it's important to recognize and understand from experience that when we study these dimensions, they're not something outside of us, but they apply to our own psychology. They apply to who we are here and now. What it takes is a matter of perspective of the different magnitudes of nature. Within the cell, we find how it's processed, which is time. And then as molecules, or better said, as cells begin to change, it's because of the molecule, which is a deeper dimensionality than our physical organs, the molecular world, the fifth dimension. Even deeper into our own experience is the electron, which operates at a much more rapid pace, energetic vibration, and above that, we have the quanta, which is the intelligence of the divine, which is within us. This tree of life has many layers, and there are many ways to approach it. I was showing you in relation to dimensionality. I'm also going to break this down briefly in terms of types of cosmoses. Cosmos means unit or order. The reason why the different dimensions of nature exist is for a divine purpose. And why we study dream yoga is because we want to understand our place in the universe, but also what we must do to understand where we fit within this beautiful multidimensional space. We explain that with dream yoga, we seek to understand our divine origins. Above, we have what are in Hebrew terms known as the Ain, the Ain Sof, the Ain Sof Or, which means nothing, limitless, limitless light. This is a type of cosmic potentiality of an abstract nature, which is the basis for all creation of all being. It is like a space, an emptiness, a void, which in the Bible is allegorized by the darkness on the face of the deep upon which the spirit of divinity hovered in order to make light, to create the worlds, to create the different dimensions at the beginning of any universe, any type of manifestation from a inert, inactive potentiality. From that nothingness or that limitless space emerges light. That light in itself is our own inner glorian. The Christians call it Christ. The Buddhists call it Adi Buddha. There are many names for our own inner divinity who is a type of perception and light that in the beginning does not know itself. It is unconscious. And in order to gain experience, the infinite must become finite. 
the universal must become manifested. Therefore, that unmanifested potential comes into being. It is a unique law. It is our own law. It is a type of perception and being that is so free, that is spontaneously happy and wise, that it is really beyond comprehension. One has to experience it to understand. And when we experience our true nature, we understand that everything else is really passing. It's ephemeral. But there's a reason why this type of light from this Ain Sophor, this limitless light, descends into the universe and becomes more complex, manifesting different laws, so that through that complexity it can return to its own source, to understand its own simplicity, having gained knowledge. It's like a mirror. Many mystics from different traditions, especially even from Sufism or Islam or the early church fathers, always talk about self-knowledge as the key and the reason for being. The reason why we exist is to know divinity, who is within us, our own true nature. This is very well known within schools of yoga, of Hinduism, of Buddhism, of Sufism. Every religion is about this. That light, when it manifests into the universe, becomes three forces. But it's important not to make the error of anthropomorphizing these elements. They are energies. They are not three people. They are like light. It's emptiness, it's radiance, it's activity. Three in one. And therefore, this higher world known as Keter, which is some some people have called it the father within Christianity, or Chokmah, the son, Binah, the Holy Spirit. These worlds are manifested as three because three creates. The law of three or, uh, basically creates everything. We know this basically even within a relationship. Man, masculine force. Woman, feminine force. Reconciliation, the sexual act, gives birth to a new being. The law of three is in everything. Everything that is created, whether on a universal scale or a psychological scale, depends on how we use these energies. But when that force descends from this trinity, this trimurti or trikaya, such as within Buddhism, it becomes six. It passes into a different level of materiality where we find six laws because those laws double as they complicate, they materialize, they become more dense. We find what people often call the spirit, chesed in Hebrew, which means mercy. Our inner divine being, our God, our Father who are in heaven. But the spirit has his counterpart known as the divine soul, which in Hebrew is known as Giburah, meaning justice. This divine soul, divine consciousness, is like a lamp of alabaster in which the light of the spirit shines. 
unfolding from the divine soul is what is known as tifereth, the human soul, which means beauty. This is our will, the will to act, willpower. But beyond will comes the mind, netzach, which is governed by 12 laws. We can see that even from these six laws and even to 12, things get more complicated. If we look at our mind, we find that we are restricted in many ways, such as by negative emotion of many kinds. It's because the laws that govern our mentality is very restrictive, conflicted, contradictory, paradoxical. We also experience hod, the emotional world, governed by 24 laws. And that is, again, complicated. Our emotions are very complicated. At one moment, we could be happy. The next, distraught, in despair. Beyond that, we have vitality, which is governed by 48 laws. Likewise, with the physical body. We have to think of this vital force, this vital vehicle, like an aura that saturates and permeates our physicality. Our physical body would not have life if it were not for this vital death. And the reason why it's governed by 48 laws is because while science acknowledges 46 chromosomes within the physical, uh, or the sexual gametes, we find that there are really 48 chromosomes, such as in two that are etheric, not physical. You won't find them with a scalpel or a microscope. They're internal. 48 chromosomes. And the physical body is governed by 48 laws. So the more we descend down this ray of creation, this level and dimensionality of being, we basically enter more complication and more distance from our source, from our origins. And it's the purpose of dream yoga to experience these higher levels and also to transcend the different laws that limit us and make us suffer gradually through a process by which we escape the mechanicity of nature, the different laws that govern these different cosmoses, which we're going to elaborate in detail, each one. And the process by which we enter back up this tree of life, reversing this flow or descent from above, inwardly going up, spiritually elevating. We create different vehicles, different types of bodies, we can say. So these are dimensions, but also they are vehicles and bodies because in order to exist in each dimension, we need proper vehicles. We're all very familiar probably with the astral body. People often talk about this in spiritual circles. The astral vehicle. In truth, that what we commonly possess is known as the astral body is really something that's mechanical, was given to us by nature. We were born with it and we die with it. We use it every time we travel in the internal worlds. But there's a type of body that is not limited to the mechanicity of nature and which we can use to competently investigate these higher worlds. 
Some have called it solar bodies. These are vehicles that don't belong to a type of mechanicity or nature. They're created through a very specific spiritual work, which you can study in a book called The Perfect Matrimony or any of the works of Samal and Vior. Let's talk about each of these cosmoses. That light, when it's in the absolute, the Ain, Ain Sof, and Ain Sof 4, exists in what is known as a protocosmos. It is the first cosmos. It is what is known as the spiritual absolute sun. It is governed by one law. And as depicted in this beautiful painting, we find many celestial beings who are inhabitants of that dimension, of that highest truth, the one law of the Glorian, our real root origin, which is like a spark of light in the emptiness of the vast space of the uncreated. And there are many beings who thrive, who exist in that protocosmos, who can be called upon within our dreams. We'll talk a lot about how to find a genuine spiritual master within the dream state. But in simple terms, you can wake it in the dream world and invoke or call upon certain angels or masters or prophets who reside within this region. And they can come down to teach you, to help you with whatever you need. It is a spiritual absolute sun because it is like a infinite radiance. It is where there is no mechanicity or suffering. It is pure freedom. And some people may find this ironic that why would following a law make one free? In truth, the type of law we are talking about has to do with a quality of being, a simple state, a pure state. It is not restricted. And yes, by having less laws, we suffer less because there's less complication. And so the purpose and point of dream yoga is to eventually return to this protocosmos, but with wisdom, with knowledge of all the different aspects of our experience. We also have the Ao cosmos, which in Greek means holy cosmos. This Iocosmos, coming from the Greek, Achios, means holy, sacred. These are all the stars and galaxies of the infinite in terms of scale. So when that light from the protocosmos enters the universe, it organizes in different units. So we're exploring this descent of the different units of the cosmos of any universe in terms of scale. This is the infinitude governed by three laws. All the vast galaxies and stars of the infinite space, of the many infinites, are governed by three laws. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Dharmakaya, Sambhogakaya, Nirmanakaya, whatever name we want to give to that. On a smaller scale, we have the macrocosmos, which is the galaxy. Macrocosmos means large cosmos, which is governed by the three laws of the infinite plus the three laws of a galaxy. This makes six. 
So every galaxy is governed by six laws. We also have the deuterocosmos, which means second cosmos. It's any sun, any solar system, which is governed by 12 laws. We have the infinitude, which is three laws, the galaxy, which is six, plus the solar system, which is three. The thing to remember by this Greek term, deuterocosmos, is that when the light of the protocosmos, the absolute sun, first manifests into the universe, becomes a material sun, a physical sun itself. So this is why in Greek you call it a second cosmos, because it's the first unit to emerge from the absolute. But in terms of the scale of things or the magnitude of things, we study from the infinite to the galaxy to the solar system in terms of scale. Here we're talking about a more basic unit of measurement, which is a sun, a star. We also have the mesocosmos, called the middle cosmos in Greek. This is the infinitude of three laws plus the galaxy, which is six, plus the solar system of 12 laws, plus the planet of three, which makes 24. Why isn't Earth a mesocosmos? Because it receives the light of the divine, the universe, and channels it into the interior of the Earth. The surface is like a middle ground in which forces are brought in and taken out, transmitted. We also have a microcosmos, which is a small cosmos. This is us, the human being. We are governed by 48 laws, this body, this physicality. It is the infinitude of three laws plus the galaxy of six, solar system of 12 laws, the planet of 24 laws, and the physical body, which is an additional three, makes 48 laws. Notice that with this descent, we're exploring how every cosmic unit governs itself or is governed, is manifested or maintained in accordance with the wisdom of divinity. But beyond or beneath our physical body, the physical world, we have the tritocosmos, known as a third cosmos. These are the hell realms the infernal worlds. We have the infinitude of three laws plus the galaxy of six, the solar system of 12, the planet of 24, the physical body, which is 48. Therefore, we have the first realm or state of hell, which is limbo within Catholicism. This is governed by 96 laws. In this image, we see the temptation of St. Anthony, where he's praying to his inner divinity within him, his own mind, while he's surrounded by monstrous figures, which are his own defects, his own vices, his own errors. This nightmarish landscape and appearance painted by Hieronymus Bosch is a perfect representation of our own psychological hells. And so the hell realms, even from the world of 96 laws, while we think this is very disastrous itself, pretty horrific, we find that each hell becomes even more complicated the further you go. So beneath Malkut, this physical world, again, we have these nine spheres, nine inverted sephiroth, 
which are the tree of death, not the tree of life. Each of these spheres relates to an astrological sign, or better said, a planetary symbol. Nine planets, nine hells. The first is the lunar sphere, the lunar hell, followed by Mercury, Venus, the Sun, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune. Each of these spheres gets even more complicated the further down you descend in terms of materiality. It goes from 96 laws to 192, to 288, to 384, to 480, to 576, to 672, to 768, to 864. Because these numbers double in intensity, the suffering intensifies within this dimension. But the purpose of why certain souls enter these hell realms is because that light from the protocosmos, which enters within the human being, has the option of either returning inward and upward, purifying one's faults willingly, intentionally, in order to return to the source. Or, if one doesn't give up their egotism and negativity and violence, will get recycled by nature. Those laws act like a pressure in the same way that the earth pushes upon coal, which is impure and blackened and foul. Until eventually at the end, through many millions of years of suffering, that coal becomes a diamond. It's the same process. Eventually those souls that are recycled at the lowest levels of nature become virginal and pure again. But then they have to enter again another process of evolution and possibly devolution. You can study the lecture we gave called Transmigration of Souls. Here in Synthesis, we're just emphasizing that the light of divinity enters into us and we have a choice to work for its liberation or not. That's the crude reality. So the question becomes, where do we dream? Where are we in the tree of life in a given moment? Physically, we know we are seated here or listening online. But in truth, we often don't know where we dream. We study this glyph because we want to be very competent with astral projection so that when you have any experience within meditation or in dreams, you know exactly where you're at. You know where you're going. You know who you are. And then dreams don't become something vague or incoherent. They become something much more clarified and amplified through the different practices that we're teaching in this course sequentially. So while it might seem a lot of information in terms of the tree of life, in reality, it's very simple. Who are we here and now? What is our state of consciousness? What is our level of being? And by practicing mindfulness and awareness throughout the day, by questioning our surroundings, by questioning our mind, we examine and ask the question, am I dreaming? We talked about the key of soul previously. Subject, object, location. It's a practice that we do when physically we're active. We get into the habit of inquiring into our state. Because if you do it physically, you can do it even when you're dreaming. So when you do the same type of questioning physically, it manifests in your sleep. You may find yourself walking down some foreign city, maybe in Spain. You don't know how you got there. 
And so you ask the question, where am I? Who am I? That's the subject. Object, you're looking at your different surroundings, but also location, where am I? Where am I dreaming? What is going on here? How did I end up in Spain? I'm from Chicago. Right? So there's an experiment you can do. Take your finger, stretch it. Try to pull it, maybe not too hard, but pull it so that you have the intention of watching your finger stretch. Because in the astral world, matter is more elastic. It's plastic, it's more ductile. You pull it, and if you see your finger stretch because you intend it, you realize, I'm dreaming. I'm here in the astral world, or perhaps even in one of these lower spheres. And therefore, you can consciously determine where you go. Instead of just going through dream life without any awareness of where we've been or where we're at or what we are doing. In that way, we can investigate these higher dimensions and gain a very valuable knowledge that you can't get from a book. You can't get it from a scripture. You can't get it from a lecture. You get it from sitting in meditation daily and practicing astral projection daily so that you get the results that you want. And then when you know from your dreams, your experiences, these realities, you can get guidance from your own inner being, your inner God. When you have that knowledge, you feel much more confident about your spiritual life. It's not something theoretical. You know what you're doing. You know what is happening. and You know where you will go. So we always conclude these lectures with a practice. Every day, develop your self-observation from moment to moment. This has to do with examining your thoughts, feelings, and actions. Also extend your mindfulness, the length of time that you are aware of yourself. Because mindfulness has to do with the continuity of remembrance. Not forgetting that you are present in the body, that you're observing yourself, aware of your surroundings. And then at the end of each day, reflect on how well you did. Before sleep, you can perform this meditation. Concentrate on your heart. Pray to your inner divinity to take you out of your physical body to study and experience the tree of life. We use in this tradition what are known as mantras. These are called sacred sounds. They're very common within yoga, Hinduism, Buddhism, even in Islam. They recite the Quran as a type of mantra, as a type of prayer, calling upon divinity. Mantra means mind protection in Sanskrit, protecting our mind. And by working with mantra, it's like we're opening up a doorway into the internal worlds because we're more focused in our own interior, our own state of mind. And by using certain sounds with intention and with prayer, we amplify our heart. Our consciousness becomes something much more inflamed, inspired, filled with joy, altruism, faith. There are mantras that you can pronounce physically, but also mentally when you go to sleep. It is Lifaros, Lifaros, Licanto, Ligoria. You prolong each syllable like this. Lifaros, Lifaros, 
li canto ligoria you could do it out loud while you're meditating and then slowly whisper then silently in your mind eventually as you fall asleep if you're concentrating on this mantra, you can go out of your body willingly. And then you can investigate all the different spheres that you want in the internal worlds. Lastly, continue your spiritual diary. This also has to do with recording our dreams. So as part of our practice, we reflect on how well we're doing in our spiritual work, write down the contents of our day. This link to Gloria and Publishing's website has a beautiful article about how to do a diary. You can use it to document your physical life, but also your dreams. Highly recommended. So recall, review, and record your dreams in it when you wake. At this point in time, I'd like to open up the floor to questions. Sure. So uh, I've always known that, or thought that, you know, the heavens are up there, the novel space, and then the heroes to be, I guess, somewhere down, either in the earth or below, south of space. But I feel like uh, I might be wrong on that subject, because it seems like we just don't perceive them. Would that be, are they, are they more in a, another form of vibration of nature? Like, are they here now, or are they all? How do you guys really explain where they are? Sure, it's a good question. So we often typically from our religious upbringing think of hell is under the earth and heaven up in the sky. It stems from a very innate longing in humanity whenever we'd look up to the heavens to see the stars because one in their finite existence captures the magnitude in the breathless beauty of the infinite. But the truth is that heaven and hell are states of being. The earth, while it does have its own interior reality of a hell dimension in the interior of the earth, the truth is that our humanity has gotten so bad that we're bringing up the contents of hell to the surface. The earth, which should be 48 laws in nature, is governed by 96 because of the actions and behavior of others, of people, of us. We attract the environment we live in. And we also contribute to it. So if our mind is really evil or negative, we're going to bring that into our environment. And you see that all over the place, everywhere. Where there is more crime and violence and hatred, suffering, than there's ever been that we can record a lot of problems. It's because psychologically, the surface of our earth is really vibrating in hell. But likewise, if we change psychologically, we become a vehicle through which heaven can express. And therefore we bring heaven onto earth. There are other planets and other humanities that are not degenerated like us. And therefore their planet is really a, a paradise really saintly and divine.
But that depends on the evolution of a particular group, or better said, humanity. Our planet tends to be particularly negative. So we're bringing all of that up in our art, in our media, in our television, in our music, in our politics, in our religions. We're in hell. We're living it. It's here. So, but that can change. It depends on what people do. If people are willing to introspect in themselves and try to understand what in us creates and contributes to the problem. It's also interesting to note too that not only is it in hell in the interior of the earth, but also there are heavenly worlds in the interior of the earth. We talked about the inverted fifth dimension, which is inferno. But also in the fifth dimension, which is superior, if you go into the interior of the earth, you will find a divine temple within the internal worlds. It's the temple of Melchizedek. And every Saturday the 13th, the Gnostics celebrate a holiday where we meditate and visualize ourselves astral projecting into the interior of the earth within the superior fifth dimension to receive help from this divinity known as Melchizedek, who's represented in the Bible. You can learn more about Melchizedek and the practice for every Saturday the 13th of any year on our website. We have an article about that specifically. But it's interesting. In that internal superior dimension, you don't see suffering beings. You see the temples of the divine white lodge, the great prophets. But also in the interior of the earth, if you vibrate in a negative way with that dimension, you're going to experience the hell worlds. Depends on where we vibrate, where we resonate. So in a similar way, how the tree of life is represented vertical, but it's more of an internal dimension. Yeah, exactly. Some people get caught up in thinking God's up there. No, God's in here, in your heart. But how we access that depends on our choices, moment by moment. And uh, can you please explain on this, uh, more on the sacred that? Dot in Hebrew means knowledge. It's a type of science in which we work with energy. So we talk in many other courses about by working with the energies of our mind, our heart, and our creativity, our physicality, our sexuality. We learn to empower the soul. A big reason why people don't awaken in the astral world is because we waste energy all the time, usually even emotional type. For very emotional types of people, we often squander the, the energy of the heart through depression or anger or hatred, self-criticism, doubt, fear, fanaticism, rage. If you don't have energy to, or better say, you don't have fuel to light your lamp, you can't see. It's the same thing with the internal worlds. Likewise, in the mind, if we squander our mental energy with too much reading or intellectualism, debates, argumentation, too much theorizing, then the lamp of our mind is snuffed out. We can't perceive in the mental world when we physically go to sleep. Sometimes we often gravitate between the two. 
the emotions and the heart, the fifth dimension. So the solution is to practice the knowledge of Da'at in Hebrew, which is the work of creating or conserving your energy in every way. We conserve that energy so that physically, emotionally, vitally, sexually, physically, we have a lot of life. When the more energy you have, your practices are going to be empowered. So whether you're meditating or doing mantras or prayers or any type of exercise, you have the fuel there to run your car. Car doesn't have fuel, you can't drive anywhere. It's the same thing with being conscious in the astral plane. So dot is the science of knowing how to work with that. You can study again, perfect matrimony, for those who are not familiar, where you learn all about the science of dot, which is symbolized as the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because how you use energy for good or for ill determines our trajectory, spiritually speaking. Regarding quantum physics and the seventh dimension, how do we use the Trinity to practice dream yoga? In a future lecture, I was intending to talk about different obstacles that people face in their experiences. I'll relate to one thing I'm going to talk about then. You can decorate your home with the three primary colors. The three primary colors attract energy. Blue, yellow, red. Those represent the three primary forces. It's good for dream yoga discipline to decorate your home, especially if you have a bed or artwork, things of that type. Blue, yellow, red. Decorate your home. Make it a temple. Make it a blissful, beautiful place that you enjoy being. I know some people may feel, you know, distraught with their home, perhaps. They have a difficult living situation. Maybe people live with other people. It's not always conducive for dream yoga practice. But if you can decorate your home with blue, yellow, and red, or your bedroom specifically, that's one way to attract good energy. Special elevates your mood. The best way to work with the three primary forces is with your three brains that we're going to talk about in a forthcoming lecture. We talked about different dimensional beings in this lecture. The snail, the cat, and the humanoid. The reason why we perceive certain dimensions or these beings perceive certain dimensions is because of possessing a certain number of brains. A brain is a, not only just a, in our cranium, but it's a psychosomatic, physiological, and spiritual machine that processes energy. We are free brain beings because we have an intellect, which is an intellectual brain that we all know of. We have an emotional brain, the heart which registers sentiment and feeling. And likewise, we have a motor instinctive sexual brain, which is a composite or amalgamation of movement, instincts, and sexuality, desire or will to do, thought, feeling, will. We have three brains because each of these aspects of our physiology and our psychology processes certain information, data, and energy that is necessary for us to awaken consciousness and become like the angels. But a snail, which has one brain, only senses a sensation. Or a cat or a dog has two brains, emotional and motor. Doesn't think, doesn't rationalize. We have the intellectual brain because it's a necessary tool to use in the study of spirituality and the awakening of our consciousness. So only from a three-brained being can one become a, a perfected, fully illuminated master. 
Now, the three primary forces work through our three brains all the time. We're just not aware of them. In the intellectual brain, we process the forces of Keter, the crown, the father. In the heart, we process the energies of the sun, chokmah, wisdom, the Christ. And then in our sexuality, in our instinct and movements, we process the power of the Holy Spirit. Bina, the intelligence of God. Because God creates intelligently with the creative force. If we use that force to elevate our spirituality, we will rapidly awaken. That's the one energy that is the most important. Especially if you want to balance your mind, your heart, and your body, it's important to work with the energies. We'll talk about that in detail, especially in a, a lecture on how do we dream, especially. Other questions? Oh, yeah. So you were saying uh, as you develop the solar bodies, it becomes, I guess, easier to travel into superior forms. I've had experiences in the superior ones, but it's uh, almost like a shock coming back into the body. Sure. The thing about having a solar astral body is that that's something you'll determine over time in the sense that people who've developed that vehicle, whether in their present life or in previous lives, have access to a type of knowledge that's very easy, comes naturally. But that's something that one confirms with patients, obviously. Because it's good not to assume that we're something that we're not. But you look at your dreams, the fact that you know how to travel in that state without even having to think about it, the frequency of those dreams, the fact that you can travel to other planets of the solar system in the astral plane, talk and invoke angels pretty easily. Usually that signifies the type of previous work. But at what level, you know, something to be cautious about, to really analyze with patience. Your being will give you the insight and the knowledge about who you were in the past, right? And, uh, you know, sometimes getting the answers may not be pleasant. Because if we had this knowledge in the past and worked with it and we're traveling in the astral body, created the solar vehicles, but then we're still in the situation we're in, it means we made a mistake. And that could be painful. But that's something you'll learn with time, with a lot of familiarity with those states and experimenting a lot and meditating a lot on the results of your experiences. And then with certain experiences that coincide with your daily life, they all add up, you'll say, this is just the reality of who I am. So if we just have a lunar astral body, a lunar mental body from nature, we can still access the superior realms, right? Yeah. It, so how's that experience going to be different for me if I just have a lunar body versus if I have a solar body that I've developed through the spiritual side? Think of it in the sense that if you drive a car versus driving a rocket ship, a car can travel many places. If you train yourself in meditation and comprehending your own defects, working on yourself, you can easily travel in the astral plane at a certain degree. But there are certain capacities that are very difficult for a lot of people to do, which is only 
the luxury of having a solar astro body is because you have more power, more ability to penetrate certain regions with more will and intentionality. But in a degree, you can learn with uh, the mechanical bodies we have to enter that state. So there's no deterrent there. What I'm referring to is a kind of magnitude of work that one can perform with those vehicles. It's, off, it's, a, it's a special gift. It's a, it's a grace. You know, if you built those vehicles in the past and if your divinity allows you to use those, then you have a lot of control over where you dream. Whereas most of us, we just go mechanically into the dream state. We don't know what's going on. So you can awaken in that process, which is necessary. It's really good to awaken even in the hell realms is a good thing and find out, oh, I just have lunar bodies, right? It's a good thing to realize. Now the test becomes, how do we continue to develop that awareness all the time so that you gain more and more skill? But also there's levels and degrees by which one can go even up far beyond to the really higher realms as a result of uh, creating those vehicles. Think of it like a conduit where you have more power and energy, you can circulate more force and have more ability to travel to different planes with ease. Today you call uh, nature mechanical, um, how nature works mechanically. Then you explain to us the microcosm that we live in a micro, the galaxy is a microcosm, then the solar system, the sun is the second, uh, I can't remember the name, microcosm, but it's the second cosmos, and then the earth is the third cosmos receiving the energy from the sun, which is the physical body of our microcosmos. So, so each galaxy, each galaxy is a microcosmos. Then we come back to the solar system, then the earth, and then we, we inside of us is God in each, every one of us. If we are God, God is within us. And we are the one who brings reality or the existence of this universe, this microcosmos, third cosmos. Is God mechanically or is we, we, God is within us. We are, you know, the conscience of God observing how each one of us uh, is materializing the will of the creator if we are part of nature and nature is part of us are we you know god within us is nature different from from god or is nature acting mechanically is god acting mechanically through you know the manifestations of this world sure it's a good question Salmon vayor says the spirit is not incarnated in us Primarily because the vessels that we have within are impure. They don't channel divinity perfectly. We have a, what we call ego, defects, vices, errors. When I say that we have God in our heart, it's because we have the thread 
the spark, the impulse to become something divine. But in reality, all of us, the spirit is not incarnated yet. That's why we need to create what are called solar bodies, solar vehicles, so that we are an instrument that can channel the intensity of a galaxy, of a sun, of a planet, of a star, of a god. But for us, most of us, we, we're not there yet. That's why we have the path known as initiation, whereby we progressively change. By creating the solar bodies, you have the vessel that the being can express and act in us, which is not mechanical. Nothing mechanical about it. We, in terms of our mind and emotions and our desires, belong to nature. Mechanicity. The lunar forces. By lunar, we mean things just happen to us and we react. We don't have control. Someone insults us, we get angry. Someone hurts our pride, we want revenge. It's a lunar thing. Lunar mechanical behavior. God does not react to anything. Responds with intelligence. But to know that requires a lot of work. And it's a very long process. You can study a video that Glorian came up with recently called the Maps of the Path, the Three Mountains, which talk about in synthesis this ever-ascending path straight that leads back to the source where we slowly strip away the mechanicity and adopt the spiritual, the divine. So God works through nature, works through these laws, primarily because divinity needs those laws to exist. It's the battleground or the arena in which the soul is developed and tested. Our consciousness emanates from the divine source, but has to work through those different laws in degrees, sequentially, returning to the source with wisdom, because in the original sense, divinity did not know himself or herself. The divine was unconscious, but needed to create consciousness through precisely the different mechanicity and laws. So the divinity works through those laws, manages them, oversees them with intelligence. But they have to exist as a means by which we can return. Because there's no glory without struggle. There's no wisdom obtained without comprehending the obstacles. It's a necessary process. Can I add on to that? So, as well, we were looking at the Tree of Life and the top three Sephiroth. Then the third one, Binah, is where divinity separates into masculine and feminine. And that's part of that, when the masculine and feminine aspects of divinity reunite to create, right? So the mechanical part of nature is sometimes referred to as the feminine part of divinity. It is part of divinity, right? The clothes of the Divine Mother, in which the masculine aspect of divinity can project the spirit into nature. And then through that union of masculine and feminine, the soul can be born. And that's when we start to try to reascend back up there. So even though we're mechanical because we're coming from nature, 
nature is still part of divinity, right? Mechanical part of divinity. And I think you've explained the other part of that, but I just wanted to add in a little more. Sure. Thank you. There's another question here. You said that it can be helpful to awaken in the hell realms. If you awaken in the hell realms during a dream and realize you are fornicating or indulging in a defect and you attempt and you are able to interrupt it, what else can you do to learn and control the defects that are taking control during our dream time? Meditate on those egos. So they've clearly manifested in your dream. You've gotten data about them, how they think, feel, and act, how they work. So use whatever information you found to go deeper and with a meditation, you can imagine the scenes and ask for comprehension of this particular aggregate or defect you want to work with. But obviously, it's a very painful thing. See oneself in those dimensions committing a lot of harm. This is why saints like Anthony in the Catholic Church were depicted as repentant and remorseful before Christ, the divine, the being. But it's precisely through our prayers and our yearning to change that we change. If we're really meditating seriously on whatever in us is creating problems. So that not only just having a good attitude, but comprehending the problem is necessary. And with skill and astral projection, you can learn to investigate in the dream state what that particular defect is doing. How it's behaving. You can ask your divine mother, show me this ego. Let me converse with it. See it for what it is. Let me inquire into it and get the information I need so that you can eliminate it. And she'll do that for you. She's the intelligence of God. She knows every aspect of our psychology and how to change. So rely on her. So you do that when you're dreaming? Oh yeah, when you're dreaming... When you're dreaming and <clears throat> you're going through a very tempting moment, perhaps you're, some entity is bothering you or you feel inclined to do something wrong, pray to your being. The Our Father is exceptional. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, etc. Pray with a lot of intensity. Your divine Father will help you. Or your divine mother. You don't need a formula necessarily. Hail Mary full of grace is one. There are many prayers. <clears throat> but the best prayer is what comes from you, from your heart. Pray to your being to get you out of the situation, to protect you. And she's there. She's always with us. She's here. So she'll help you. So, you know, so I've had, you're dreaming, you realize you're dreaming. So I've had experiences where I'm like, okay, I'm dreaming. Definitely right now. So I would do either like a single tilt head or I sure. jump if the intention to levitate. And nothing happens. I fall back down to the earth. I'm like, okay. But I'm but I know I'm doing it, so I'll do it again. And I've even had like people look at me, what are you doing? And I'm like, don't worry about it, okay? I'm just dreaming. <laughs> um you know, and I've meditated on it and I've realized a couple of personal techniques that I can replace that with, but is there if that happens, is there something? That happens to me too sometimes. And I feel like if you've got some heavy emotions weighing you down, 
you try to jump and levitate, yeah. or you know, you got a lot of earth element kind of okay. psychologically. Yeah. That it can happen. It's not necessarily like good or bad. That makes sense though, too. Could be part of it. Later on in those dreams, I'll, I'll be carrying like a really heavy bag. Yeah, uh, you're you're weighed down. Yeah. Even in the astral plane. Symbolic. Right. the realness of our dreams so I uh, sometimes dreams that for instance I'm playing soccer with my friends and sometimes I'm uh, I meet my old friend that I used to know back in, in like Lodiang and everything so when I wake up you know I try to you know see really was I talking to my friend that you know that I used to know was I really playing with my friends so I would call them you know I'd be like so I had a dream and this this and happened I you know passed through the ball and Sure. How, how, how is that real then? If you, you know, but one thing, like dreams are real. Like, yeah. Sure. In one sense, the other person may not be awake. <laughs> they don't remember. Or, like you said, it's a projection. Becoming from your own mind. So in terms of where we dream, oftentimes we don't see our surroundings because our mind is projecting its desires into that dimension. We don't really see what's there. In the same way that you have a screen and a projector, you don't see what's actually there in the screen, but the contents of your own mind. So only you can really navigate that, really analyze in meditation, is this from my own mind or was this something I actually saw? The best solution is analyze your emotional impact, your reaction, your response, the psychological mood that the dream left you. But also if there are any symbols in the dream too, you can see how it correlates to your physical life. And that way you get more confidence in the objectivity of your dreams. And it's like I've never seen anything new, just things I've seen in my past, you know, so I'm like, maybe, you know, something, you know, forget going on, you know. And that's a tricky thing because our past can be used to cloud us from our own desires, but also divinity can use the past, your own experiences to teach you something. Frame it in such a way that you're seeing something that was first once familiar, but also you're seeing it in a new way, trying to get you to understand something psychological. We'll conclude and uh, thank you all for coming. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.